Welcome to Take Care. This is the podcast that helps you understand the background and habits of change makers. Host Rish Sharma and his guests give you the wisdom to help you learn a little more and get a bit better every episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Take Care. Today's guest is Kim Fan, the co-founder of Hong Tom. Welcome, Kim. Thank you for coming on the podcast. We're really excited to hear about your story and the story of Hong Tom. And thank you for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks so so much for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I'd love to just give the audience a little bit of a backstory on yourself and then how that led to you starting some with your sister. And if you could also, I think it's a really cool thing if somebody did, orders it is the name and what it means also. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I am a first generation Vietnamese American and a daughter of refugees. And basically growing up, my sister, who's actually my co-founder, my sister and I never really kind of felt seen by this kind of quote unquote ethnic aisle in mainstream grocery stores, right? You probably have been it, but it's usually this like forgotten corner in the back of the grocery store. It's, you know, a hodgepodge of all these items. And, and honestly, walking down it feels like stepping back in time. Yep. Like the products are really old school and they're really diluted or they have like super stereotypical packaging like pandas and dragons. And it's just, yep. it, for Vanessa and I, we're like, how is this still a thing in 2020, which is when mm -hmm. we launched the business. And it just didn't feel at all representative of the changing DNA of this country. And so we're, I had spent my previous life working in startups on the brand and community side. And Vanessa was coming from CPG consulting at Bain and we're just I think we should quit our jobs and, and take a shot at reimagining this category. And so that's the the thesis that we quit our jobs on is how can we build a brand that really reclaims and celebrates the multitudes within Asian flavors, but also stories and communities. And yeah, it was with that North Star that we're like, let's take a run at this. And Amsam was really born from that mission. Um, we are a proud and loud Asian food brand and we partner with really iconic Asian chefs to craft what we call starters, um, which are little packets, basically think like an M&M packet, but with all of the aromatic spices, seasonings, and oils that you need to cook a specific Asian dish. So all you would need to do as the customer would add in your own protein and veggies. And yeah, it's just, it, it's been a wild ride. We launched in May of 2020. Oh, and then you wanted me to talk about the name, yeah. So we had no idea what to name this business. Frankly, we didn't even know what the business was going to turn out to be. But then I think once Vanessa and I really rooted um, in this idea of proud and loud, like Amsam became our company name. Amsam is 
originated in the word sum, which in Vietnamese means roughly like like rowdy or rambunctious. It's actually a negative term, to be honest. Like growing up, Vanessa and I would be these like loud little petulant children in the back of the car. And my parents would turn around and be like, stop it. Don't be dumb. And I think we really love the idea of, okay, let's reclaim that word and let's like find pride and find joy in being loud. Because I think for so long, especially on a bigger level, Asian Americans have been painted as being like quiet or submissive mm -hmm. or model minority. And we just really wanted to give a middle finger to all of that. Yeah. So I'm just felt so quintessentially both to our kind of origins as Vietnamese American women, but, but also to our ethos. So yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, no, I think it's a great name, especially, I think it complements just personally from trying the product. The, all the fresh flavors and all the explosion of spices mm. like the name really com i think complements not only what the brand is and the brand messaging but also the product itself and the, and the foods as well so i think it's a real slam dunk of the name for the brand awesome thank you thank you so much <laughs> and so how was it i have to ask how was it launching a brand in the middle of the pandemic in 2020 and then also doing that with your sister as well Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ooh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was brutal. Like we obviously have been working on the business way before the pandemic. So it wasn't, I think a lot of people are like, wow, look at how, look at how that worked out. All these people are cooking now. And we're like, yeah, cause we planned for this. No, um, <laughs> but it was, we had been working on the business pretty on and off for about two years. And when shelter in place hit New York city in March of 2020, Vanessa and I were like, oh my gosh, like we are a couple months from launching. Do we hold? Do we not? And at the time, like a lot of our advisors were telling us to hold. They're like, look, no one knows what's about to happen. A recession's coming. American wallets are constricting. Like it just doesn't make sense to launch a consumer brand right now. And when you're first time founders and particularly like women of color who don't, you know, enjoy a lot of privilege in this space, we were like, oh. okay, these people are experts. Like they know. But Vanessa and I really dug deep within ourselves and found conviction in that one. I think Americans right now are rediscovering the joy of cooking at home. Like I I'm sure you remember that time during the pandemic where your entire Instagram feed was like sourdough starters and people yep. growing scallions. That yeah. was a time. And we're like, look, okay, people who don't normally cook are cooking, yep. which is cool. And maybe we can be a part of that journey. But also too, I think a lot of folks just wanted flavors that they perhaps don't typically have access to, like Asian or, or non-Asian. So like on the mm -hmm. Asian side, it's like, hey, I grew up with these flavors. I know them and I love them, but trying to get a recipe from my dad or my mom is like pulling teeth. It's, yeah. hey mom, like, how do I do this? And she's like, oh yeah, you know, a little bit of fish sauce. And you're like, what the heck? Or like a little bit of cardamom and you're like, okay. And then on the non-Asian side, it's, I don't even know where to go for these groceries. I don't, even when I get inside that specialty store, there's six different kinds of poison sauces. And so we're like, okay, there's clearly like barrier here. And especially on pile on top of that, like pandemic folks aren't leaving the house. People aren't traveling on the subway, whatever. And so we we're just like, look, I actually think this is the right time. And so we made a bet and launched 
which was, I think, in retrospect, like kind of the best decision that we could have made. Folks were really excited by our products, but also what we stand for as a brand. And yeah, we, we sold out within 72 hours of launch, which was wild. And then, yeah, it's just been this really fun, albeit rocky ride ever since. That's, um, that's incredible. Congratulations <laughs> on that. Thank you. It hasn't been all like sunny times, but yeah. um, actually you were just asking me about working with my sister. I'm, I think through all the ups and downs, I've been so thankful to be working with Vanessa. She's my co-founder. She's my sister. We're super close. Like even before Amsam, we were like best friends. And I think in the beginning it was a little rocky because I think we were trying to, you know, we've been sisters, we've been best friends, we've been roommates, but like we hadn't been co-founders. And what was it like to work with one another in a professional capacity? And there was yeah. a steep learning curve. But now two years later, I'm so grateful. We have nothing but like immense love and trust for one another. Like I just know she has my back and people say that like being getting finding a co-founder is like getting into a marriage. And I think that Vanessa and I have that kind of deep bond and time together because we were basically with each other our whole lives. So I'm very lucky. I'm also very lucky because we're really different. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. if you were super similar with similar skill sets, a sibling kind of co-founder relationship could be hard, but it's very clear how we divide the business. We have, she's definitely left brain. I'm right brain. It's just really clear how we divide responsibilities, which is, I think, really great. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it's a really great relationship. I think I've personally, in my own experience, I've started businesses with family members and it's hard oh. to, it's hard to translate professionalizing the relationship. Um. But, and so it's all about establishing communication boundaries. But like you said, like, there's nothing like having a family member that you're close to that has your back unconditionally. And you just know that to your core. And so I think that there's a real saving grace there. So I'm just curious to go into the product itself and see you know, if somebody looks on your website and chooses to buy the sampler, you have all these various product dishes from various areas. How'd you guys go about selecting kind of what dishes from what country and what cuisine? What was that process like? Yeah, for sure. So we launched in May of last year with a Southeast Asian launch. So Vietnamese, Thai, and Filipino dishes and, and chef partnerships. And that was done super consciously. I think on one hand, I think as a business, we stand to reclaim and celebrate the multitudes in Asian cuisine. And I think on this, like, there's a lot of, I think Americans are really familiar with East Asian cuisines. And I that's a reflection of immigration patterns and all of that, like, Chinese, Korean, and Japanese, I think is a lot more familiar to folks than perhaps like Vietnamese, Thai, and Filipino. And so we, we wanted to go to market with a fresh, perhaps like new kind of flavor profiles and cuisines that folks perhaps haven't really cooked at home as much. And also frankly, like perhaps a little bit selfishly, Vanessa and I are Vietnamese, we grew up on Southeast Asian flavors. And so it just, it felt like really close to home and, and really like where our heart is rooted. So yeah, again, like a lot of our advisors were like, hey, like, why wouldn't you do the dishes that everybody knows? Like you'll face less education barrier. But for mm -hmm. us, it was like, hey, like one, like our roots, but two, also, I think it actually signals to the world who we are because we've made an intentional decision to not go with the obvious. Mm -hmm. And even with our kind of the dishes that we chose within all of our cuisine, we didn't go for 
the most obvious. Like it could have been so obvious to do like a Thai starter that was Pad Thai. But mm -hmm. I think we wanted to show like another dish, another kind of regional dish that Americans could get really excited about, but perhaps isn't like the quote unquote, like most Googled. And so it was all like a really intentional choice to like, in many ways, communicate our values. And then our next line, which was launched in October of last year, is our East Asian line. So we did a Korean, a Japanese, and a Chinese dish with another new set of tastemakers. That's what we call our chef partners. But again, like not the most obvious dishes, but dishes that we love and that we eat a lot personally, honestly, and that our chef partners could really get behind and, and build something beautiful with us. Yeah, I, I would say it's like kind of an intersection of like personal interest slash like a reflection of our own values, but also very real realities of building a product. Of, does this dish make sense? Does our tastemaker, have they created a dish like this before? Is it, does it sell in our restaurants? And then also what works with our format of being in this kind of packet. So it was like across those inputs, that I think we came to what you see in front of you. Thank you for going through that. And just curious <laughs> if you are, when you like pick, let's just take, for example, the lob guy that you guys have as a, did you guys start with a particular recipe working with a tastemaker or was it like a different approach? And then you took that recipe and you tried to formalize it or was it a different process to get to that point? Just curious for more specifics. Yeah. It was a super, it's a super, super collaborative process. We work with our tastemakers like literally end to end. So they're there from let's decide the dish all the way through like, how would you market this? What are the stories that people need to know about these dishes? So for example, with the lob, actually when we first approached the Fish Cheeks brothers, we were actually pitching them on Pad Ki Mao, actually okay. like a kind of a noodle sauce. But then we actually learned, oh, hey, like, for this dish to be done right, Pad Ki Mao needs to be super saucy. And with the kind of restrictions that we have on our kind of product format, like it just <laughs> wouldn't do justice to the dish. And we learned that through working with Chat and Om because they're like, hey, look, it's just going to be really hard and it's not going to be very good. Like, what, why don't we try this dish? And then over time, very hand in hand with them, did multiple iterations of the lop recipe. They gave us a ton of feedback. We literally came to them with, hey, here are the six different peppers that we can use. And they're like, nope, none of these. Go and find me a Thai chili, which is very different from perhaps the more commercially available Chinese and Korean alternatives. And again, though, like our North Star as a brand is to cultural integrity. And so we very much like welcome that, even if it means it's like going to be a stickier process. It means like net, like a better product. Super, super collaborative, oftentimes a headache. And I say that with, you know, so much love in my heart for our, our tastemakers. When you work with chefs, like their bar is super high as it should be. Like they're making food at a very kind of small batch for diners versus what we're trying to do is like at a larger commercial scale. And how do we balance that? It's a really interesting kind of R&D challenge. And I'm so glad that Vanessa is my co-founder because she's been the one driving that. She's infinitely more strategic and analytical and detailed <laughs> than I am and which is why she's really great at, at running that with our chef partners. That sounds like such a really fun process. I can imagine trying various different types and how much fun that must have been to try the various dishes. 
is a lot of fun. I'm actually doing some taste testing later tonight, actually right after this. So uh, I, I like to say I eat and cook for a living, which is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, you must be like a very popular friend among all of your friends. Then. I'm like, come over and test this. I drop them off on your stoop. Let me know. I, since you has talked about how much success you had with the launch and kind of selling out within you know a short period of time, maybe you can walk through the audience, any entrepreneurs out there, people looking to follow in yours and your sister's footsteps, maybe you could walk through how you went about that launch process to, um, to, to sell out your product early on. Yeah, for sure. What are you curious about in particular? There's so many things I could talk about, but is it like the kind of the branded marketing side of things? Yeah, I would say the branded marketing side, I think that's the thing. I think thing that at least I think resonated most with me is how much the community first is such a big part of the brand. And so yeah. maybe we can talk about how, how that helped with the launch of the brand. Yeah, for sure. So again, I wish it was like, I had this like sexy clean answer for you, but to be honest, it was a lot of us behind the scenes, like scrambling pre pandemic, pre launch. We were like, okay, we're a food brand. We're really very much rooted in our community. And so much of food is in person. So we had all these grand ideas to do these like little like dinners and pop-ups and little kind of activations throughout the nation, just to get people like literally physically tasting the food. Cause I think that's a big part of like how people fall in love with food. And so the pandemic hit and we're like, oh my gosh, like all of that has to go out the window. And so at the time it was myself and my marketing director and we were just like, oh shoot, like how do we get people like to understand what we are and understand these flavors and understand what we stand for when we can't physically put these things in front of them. And that was like a really big challenge that we didn't have a perfect answer for, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I think what kept us like grounded throughout like all of that was just being really clear about who we are who we build for and what we stand for so I think a mistake that a lot of brands make when they go to market is they try and be for everyone and I think for us just being who we are like my entire team is POC largely like I'm a queer woman of color we're daughters of refugees like we know first and foremost that we are first and second gen Asian Americans and we exist first and foremost for first and second gen Asian Americans. That is the perspective that we center around. That is the voice that we use in all of our you know, content across email, across social. That is the perspective from which we build some of our kind of like big content pieces. And so we're just like, let's just do that. Let's do what we know. Let's be really clear about who we are. And even if that doesn't work, like we'll have been true to ourselves throughout this journey. And so when we launched, we didn't try to go down the route of travel the world with these foods or we welcome all, we do welcome all, but we were like, Hey, kick down the door. We're Asian American and we are unapologetically. So we are proud and loud about the things that we care about. We are first a culture brand before we are product brand, take it or leave it. And yeah. I think like having such a strong stance right out the gate really enabled us to cut through the noise and gain like this and build this incredible community of other Asian Americans who I'm and privileged that they feel seen by our work. Like yeah. just the fact that like we center 
hey, like, we're not going to talk about this. Like, oh, here's this like exotic dish. Like it's not like these are really for a lot of American families. This is everyday home eating. And so yeah. we, we didn't make it this travel the world. Here's this exotic thing, but really just this is damn good food. And you're going to be here for the ride and learn. And also along the way, learn about this Asian American identity, learn that it's not monolithic, learn about some of the issues that our community faces. Like I think being larger than just, hey, here are these like rip and pour starters that help you make food and more. We're an Asian American brand that will help you engage with and rethink this identity on a multitude of levels. Like, yes, with food, but, you know, also in conversation and dialogue and content, all of that. I think that was what helped us cut through all the noise. So like, it's not a clean answer, but it's yeah. just being really clear about who we are, what we stand for, and then building everything around that ethos of proud and loud. Yeah, no, I think, yes, like you said, I think it's the simplicity of just knowing who your audience is and what your company is about that brought that attraction and cut through all the noise. And I think you're right. A lot of brands now, they don't know their correct positioning or their audience. And so they get watered down in the noise. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what do you feel when, now let's take it on further, you launched... What's the feeling like when a customer receives that product after making the purchase and buying into the brand? What's that feeling you want them to feel post-purchase? I think that's, we've talked Hmm. a lot about pre-purchase kind of activities and getting buy into the brand, but what's that post-purchase feeling you're looking for that customer to experience with the brand after? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think for for our Asian community, regardless of what kind of nationality, I would hope that folks feel seen. I try to stay away from this. I try to stay away from this word represented because I, I think it's like not always perfect. And we're definitely not trying to be representative of entire countries, cuisines and cultures, but I would hope that the intentionality and the care that Vanessa and I and our team puts into all these little details can make folks like feel seen and feel proud that like a brand like this can exist that isn't centered around whiteness. So like, I, I would hope that that's how they feel. Mm-hmm. And then for non-Asian folks, I hope it's like, per, like curiosity and like excitement. So like, I think hopefully we are like step one or two or three of like a multi-step journey of cool. Night. Like you love these Asian flavors. That's awesome. But like, maybe you want to engage with Amsam on our social about issues beyond like just food, right? Like, we actually literally had a post the other week called there's no such thing as perfect representation. And I think that's something that I would love our non-Asian communities to think about is like, how can I in, in get educated on issues that af- affect all sorts of BIPOC communities? And yeah. how can I be equipped with the words, with the knowledge, with the resources to be a better advocate and ally? And I think that, you know, that's like a long-term goal. I'm not deluding myself into thinking, buy our products, be an ally. But I think it's hopefully like a beginning or near the beginning of someone's journey or mid to end of their journey. Like, I just hope that it drives curiosity to keep going and, mm-hmm. and bringing intent, bringing these issues and flavors and topics into your life intentionally. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's curiosity. That's, yeah, that's a very admirable goal to break down, break down. I think it's the best way how I guess the best way to say this is like how, I don't know if you watched Anthony Bourdain when 
he had yeah. his shows, but like how he would just travel to various places and through conversation, through having a meal, it sparked a better understanding among both internal communities, but also in cultures, but also cross-cultural. And so I, I get what you're feeling, what you're trying to do. And I think it really speaks to the moment we're in right now. Okay. What is next for Hamsam? What do you guys look to do, Look, looking for new products or is it to get to retail? What's the next step that you guys are aiming as a target now that you guys have launched? Yeah, for sure. So we are releasing, I don't know if you just saw, but we actually just dropped a collaboration with Disney. So Disney has its first Southeast Asian princess. The film is called Raya and the Last Dragon. And so, yeah, we dropped like a limited edition product with them, which is so cool. And like, again, something that we feel deeply we care deeply about, which is like showing the multitudes and stories. And so to have a Southeast Asian princess that Vanessa and I desperately probably wanted when we were five is really cool to be a part of that historic moment. So that just came out. And then in later in the spring, we have a starter actually with Pepper Teigen. So Chrissy Teigen's mom, which is really cool. And she's amazing. She has an incredible cookbook, but what I'm really excited about with the starter is that it will be one of the first products of its kind that proudly features MSG as an ingredient. Like for so long, so much of the dialogue around MSG has been like, it's bad, it gives you migraines. And frankly, a lot of that like anti-MSG sentiment has been rooted in really bad science and, and frankly, like anti-Chinese xenophobia. Mm-hmm. And so we just really wanted to like, again, reclaim the narrative around this ingredient that has been maligned for so long and actually show folks that one, not only is it like 100% safe, it's also damn delicious. And we're gonna bring it into your home with one of our starters. So that one I'm super, super excited about because I think, yes, it's a new product, but it's also again, kind of storytelling and sharing sharing uh, a narrative that we personally care a lot about as founders. So that's, I'm super, super stoked for that. And then, yeah, beyond that, we're a startup. So we're still definitely going like figuring it out as we go. But I think our end game is to eventually get into brick and mortar for sure. That's where 90 plus percent of grocery decisions are still made. But I think right now, like we're focused very much on direct to consumer. We want to get, continue to stay close with our community and just kind of, get that kind of one-to-one relationship but yeah like worlds are oyster there's no shortage of asian dishes and cuisines um, that we can celebrate with our awesome tastemakers it could go anyway (laughs) it's very bright future for definitely and (laughs) and so one last question about but this your company's journey What's been the greatest growth oper- growth opportunity for you as an individual, as a founder, over this period of time to launch and now post-launch? Oh my gosh. Ooh. There's not just one. I don't know. You're a founder. You've been one as well. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like constantly being a founder is just like having your ego reckoned with, which is yeah. like a really good thing. It's a really good thing, but I... I'm like a pretty confident little creature. And then I became a founder and I was like, oh my God, there's so many things I don't know or that I'm not the best at. And so I just feel like 
my biggest growth opportunity is like reckoning with my ego. Like, I think my ego used to be in the room a lot more when I was making decisions, when I thought about like how people would interpret things. And now I'm just like, nope, (laughs) get out of here. I need to figure out how to like make the best decision. And oftentimes 99% of the time, it means me not doing something or finding someone who's smarter and better at me in these things. So that's probably the biggest growth growth opportunity is just, yeah, like learning how to get my ego out of the room. I think that's, yeah, it's really important as a founder, for sure. It's, it's, they say starting a business is the best self-improvement plan you can ever go on. So, mm. so it's, yeah, definitely agree. So just moving on to like our final set of questions. What, is there any particular like routines, morning routines, rituals that you do as a company or as for yourself that helps you keep motivated and keep coming hard every day um, into your work? Hmm. Honestly, there is none. It's probably definitely something I could like better formalize. Mm -hmm. I would say like little, I'm always hydrated. I will say that's like the one thing I like really keep myself like accountable to is like constantly drinking water. Mm-hmm. which I feel like has, is key. I've been starting to get a little bit better about just going on walks throughout the day. Like that, I think that kind of keeps me motivated. It's just like new inputs into my brain. But there's no one clear morning routine. Honestly, it's just get out of bed, listen to the news a little bit, make myself a cup of tea, but there's nothing. Yeah, there's no, I wish there was like a nicer answer. <laughs> No, whatever's you know true for you is what we're looking for. And then what does, take that into another step, what does self-care mean to you as a founder? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, it's interesting because self-care has become the bastardized kind of capitalism took it. And then yeah. it became this really, it became like an industry. So for me, I think I return to perhaps like a more holistic place when I think about self-care, but basically when I think about self-care, it's like, what can I do to set myself up where I can enter into work or a relationship or whatever, a meeting and come into that and make decisions from a place of abundance. I think that's really the main thing is if I walk into any situation coming from a place of scarcity, I just feel like I make really short-term decisions. I'm like, oh, like I don't have, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough, whatever that is. And then I end up making like bad decisions that optimize for the short term. So yeah, it's like giving myself the mental space to feel grounded in myself. So that often means like knowing that I have time to just breathe and spend honestly putting pen to paper in my moleskin is like the quickest way for me to center. I love writing a a lot of my job requires copywriting and and being basically like the voice of our brand. And so Mm -hmm. self-care to me is like making sure that I have the time to like foster that, that I continuously get like new and fresh inputs. So I recently started going to museums like every other weekend, like nothing, I'm not looking at CPG exhibits. I'm not looking at packaging Mm -hmm. exhibits. I'm literally just going to being like, okay, what can this abstractionist art like 
inspire within me and maybe nothing, but it'll just be like a new input that I have in my body and my soul. So yeah, it's just, it's honestly just making sure that I have space. It doesn't have to be like an exercise routine. It doesn't have to be like a food that I eat. It's literally just like giving myself space to like, to, to ruminate on things that aren't on song. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing that about Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. I haven't had to reflect on that. So thank you so much for, for my. What we're trying to do here is, on the podcast is to give a full holistic picture of people from challenges that they're facing to the, what they're what they're the experts or change makers in, and then also as an individual, how do they move on from day to day? That's the angle we're trying to go. And so, thank you for sharing that with you with us. Um, just two more questions. What is your favorite new product that you've tried recently? Oh my gosh. Okay. I, I love chili oil. I'm like freaking obsessed with chili oil. I put it on probably every meal that I have. And I, I'm really have always been such a big fan of Boone sauce. <laughs> it's like a Thai chili oil based in LA, but they recently came out with a like Thai Japanese chili oil called Bonito. And it, it's so good. I'm like, I stand Boone sauce so hard and this latest um like product drop they had is really good so i would say that's what i've been like really obsessed with as of late <laughs> gotta, i gotta check that out gotta check that yes. out boonsauce.com we love them and then let's just uh finish with the final question if you could have a dinner party um with three people dead or alive who would you oh choose and why oh that's so hard okay I have to ask, this is so type A of me. Yeah. Now, are we picking these guests based on, will they be interacting with one another or is it literally just blue sky, Kim, who do you want to pick the brain of? Yeah. Great insight because everybody takes it usually a different way and you're the first person <laughs> to ask that question. But yeah, so in this case, I would say let's keep it as though everybody's at the same table. Oh my gosh. Okay, so then they have to speak the same language. <laughs> we can just uh, we can we can create we can create a circumstance where it's like a universal <laughs> translator, like it's Star Trek, whatever type of I thing. Love that. So. Oh my gosh, that is so hard. Okay, first Frida Kahlo, one of like my biggest inspirations. I went to. The, yeah, the Museum of Frida Kahlo in Mexico City, and I think it genuinely changed my life. So profound, so ahead of our time, just someone who deeply inspires me. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Second would be Lady Gaga. I, I, I just, I've been long like a little monster. She just inspires me with her creativity and perspective. I, her artistry is incredible performer and I just feel like she could be someone that I could talk to for a very long time I'm just super curious about how her brain works oh geez Ooh, and the third would be Stan Lee I'm a big Marvel nerd I feel like I became a really big fan of like universes and Marvel <laughs> was the first one that really showed me that I could be a nerd about universes like I, I was like harry potter star wars but it was really first and foremost marvel and yeah i just i wish that i could have met him 
when he was alive. So yeah, it's going to yeah. be a, the weirdest dinner party. I don't know if they'll have anything to talk about, but yeah. Well, it's all about art- artistry. A lot yes. of them are all artists yeah. in their own well, degree. So they can talk about the process of creating art and resonating with a larger audience because all of them have massive audiences. And so how to translate your artistry among the masses. Oh, that's a great, I had never pulled that thread through. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's, yeah, it's their creativity and their artistry. Thank you for reflecting that. (laughs) No, happy to, just since you mentioned Stan Lee and and the MCU, what's the favorite character? Oh my gosh, this is so hard. Okay, quick aside, I'm a big MCU nerd. In fact, like I'm a part of this, like, I don't even know, league where we basically get together, obviously pre-COVID, we went to every single midnight premiere, we dress up, we literally do like Excel rankings of like our favorite character, anti-hero, villain, movie, like it, it, it gets super nerdy. They're my best friends. So yeah, this is a very like hotly contested conversation and question. But I'd have to say oh, Iron Man only because I love that he's like a real human mm-hmm. and that it's like through, I don't know. I just think there's something really quite special about Tony Stark and him going from this kind of like playboy capitalist to the full kind of arc of him stepping into realizing like the, the privilege of his power and how he can do good and, and the responsibilities. I think it's a really interesting like moral tension that I see in that character. Yeah, it's it's really hard because I'd say like my second favorite is probably Black Panther, but yeah. Iron Man. Yeah, just I like have so many Iron Man T-shirts because I'm a dork. <laughs> I just yeah, I love this like man and metal like tension, and so yeah, Iron Iron Man plus Robert Downey Jr. Who doesn't? Yeah, love? <laughs> you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Um, <laughs> so this has been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, if people want to catch up with you, where can they connect? Hell yeah. So we are on Instagram at Omsom. And then obviously you can learn more about our products and buy our delicious starters at omsom.com. And then if you're curious to like learn more about me or say hi, you can find me at kimfam.org, which has all of my social or directly um, on Instagram at Kim t- uh, underscore T fam, just my middle initial of my last name. But yeah, I'm super, I, I love like hearing from everyone. So if you have any questions or anything like that, I'm super an open book. All right. We'll put all that in the show notes. And it was a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I really appreciate the opportunity to reflect on things that I you know, don't really get the chance to think about. So thank you. Thank you.